Thank you, thank you, Janet Lee. Wow. Talk about songs that satisfy the heart. Yeah, that was a selection. And I thank you for your wonderful spirit type of playing. And hello, everybody out there. Today, Analog with Angels, Part 19. So here we are on Sunday, November 19. Wow. We just keep moving forward. And one day follows another, but we do not stop because we know that God is with us and there's a message that we have to get out. Well, today, we want to imbue in the message something a little different. We want to imbue the faith of substance, the faith that will help you to not be afraid to not fear your sickness, to not accept the angel of death, to not accept the demons and the genies of disease, and to come into a state of mind of total confidence that this message, this word, will be so imbued with the anointed Spirit of God, with the Holy Spirit, that you will just be endowed with this kind of of faith. Blessed be the name of the Lord God. All right. Of course, this subject that we have been teaching on as, as a series of teachings, it's called Analogues with Angels. And it's very much about angels. When you get into the fringes, you get into the, the part where the angels are preaching the everlasting gospel in the sky on the ziths or zizits. And um, it is all tied into this revelation of the fringe and the pomegranate and the bells. But the subject is so enlarged. And you may think that we have covered it, but we really haven't hardly begun. And um, I don't know how long we will go with this series, you know, um, but we will just take it week at a time and we'll see where we get to. But because that this serious uh, subject is about angels, I want to, before I get into the 666 number and some of the other revelatory uh, idioms and and uh, insights. I want to um, I want to talk about this thing about angels, and I, and um, I want you to hold on to your seat. Some of you, I don't want you know you to just jump off the gun and 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 get offended of how I'm going to present something here. I want you to think about it, pray about it, uh, because it is the word of God. And uh, I'm not telling you anything that's not going to be right here in the Bible. I'm not bringing it from some other book outside of the Bible. And I'm taking it from King James, which is, you know, it sells more Bibles than any other uh, version uh, uh, of of Bibles. So we're going to start today in Hebrews, because I really feel I've got to explain a couple things here so that you can have a better understanding of the order of the angels. Now, just before 
we get into that, I want to explain that any of you people out there that do not have the Manifest Chronicles before Genesis, Seven Thunders Speak book, that is a sad day for you. Because it is an incredible book and there is no other book written like it on the planet Earth. And it is one chapter from the Holy Manifest. But even though it is, it is one chapter, it is substantially over 500 pages. And in that particular um, uh, book, it gives some uh, name descriptions of the Ophanim angels, which are one of the groups of angels that came to this galaxy uh, for creation. So we have the Ophanim, the Cherubim, and the Seraphim angels, three different groups that originally <clears throat> that originally came uh, from uh, different universes. Now, um, on page 144, <clears throat> excuse me, on page 144, we have some of these names that describe different aspects of these angels. One flash consists of one angel. That's F-L-A-S-H. One link consists of ten angels. One cell consists of a hundred angels. One dorm, D-O-R-M, consists of one thousand angels. One legion consists of ten thousand angels. One host consists of a hundred thousand angels. One tro, T-R-O-E, consists of ten thousand or ten, I mean, pardon me, one tro consists of ten million uh, angels, and one tro wheel consists of one thousand million, which is one billion angels. One alpha uh, wheel consists of one hundred billion angels, and one biome wheel consists of one million million or one thousand billion which is equal to one trillion angels. This is in the Holy Manifest um, book, Seven Thunders Speak, and uh, everyone should have this information. Um, we haven't done a lot of revelation on this. Uh, when we once begin to uh, do the book, uh, which is also one chapter of the, um, of the, of the um, Holy Manifest, called the Father's House, uh, we will have a lot of, lot of deep insight on these different symbols of the Ophanim names. On that uh, next page, 145, it gives uh, the um, interpretation of Revelations 5.11, which talks about the myriads of angels times myriads of angels. <clears throat> and it shows by using the proper mathematical steps, uh, steps one, two, and three, that you are um, able to produce different factors for that multiplication that ultimately gets you to this number, one trillion angels, as it's given in the Bible. And then there are explanations on both pages about how that is done, and the following page. Then it talks about the division of the Ophanim angels by accelerations. Now, this is not uh, accelerations. 
like you know you accelerate you accelerate your car uh, this is acceleration, sort of a combination of the word uh, acceleration and excel. And so you have the Urim accelerations is the first circuit speed. Um, the Thummim accelerations, the second circuit speed, and the Sheen, S-H-E-E-N. Now Urim is U-R-I-M, and Thummim is T-H-U-M-M-I-M. And so you have the Urim accelerations, first circuit, the Thummim accelerations, second circuit, the Sheen accelerations, third circuit. You have the leadership titles, the Chief Prince, which is the highest ranking, uh, highest ranking archangel of an angelic order. Then you have the first archangel, who is a Chief Prince. The, gov the governor is a co-archangel. Also a co-archangel co is the second highest rank to the chief prince and is a governor. And um, the uh, captain of the host, leader of 100,000 angels. And it talks about the division by wheels of the Ophanim. 300 tro wheels equal 300 billion angels. Seven alpha wheels equal 700 billion angels. And... Um, the wheels in the middle of the wheels in the uh, one of the uh, thirty sixty hundredfold interpretations represents a thousand billion angels, which equals one trillion angels. So I'll tell you that is worth a book of having because it it's, uh, gives you a lot of information. And you know the Bible prophesies in First Timothy one seventeen. First Timothy one seventeen says the Lord shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Well, for sure, one of the things that is a constant and, and a, um, a special insight to that verse is that the word is going to be revealed like it was in the book of John. And in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And later it says, and the word was made flesh. And we understand then that something really uh, dynamic happened because the word, which was the holy word, <clears throat> was then made flesh, which is a physical materialism. And yet we know that even a cow, when it is properly anointed and properly offered as a sacrifice, can be considered a holy cow. So there is different levels of holiness, just like in Corinthians 15, talks about the different levels of the celestial. And as we begin to see these things, and we begin to read the the unusual things, like in Second Samuel 22, 11, uh, he made darkness pavilions around about him, and how that there is dark energy and dark, uh, dark matter, and these two um, descriptive uh, elements uh, basically are said to contain, you know, 80, 90 or more percent of what the universe is made of. And we've got the scriptures, <clears throat> like in Psalms 1810, about God riding. He rode on a cherub. And we understand that's the cherubim, and that's the, you know, that's these flying uh, ziths uh, speeding through the air. And in um, verse 10 also says he, he flew upon the wings. Well, wings we know from the teachings we've been doing and showing you the Bible scripture also means wheels. And wheels also are, are, are represented by the term fringe. 
And the Bible talks in Psalms 55, 6 about to fly away and be at rest. And, um, and in uh, Psalms 90.10, it talks about the 70 to 80 years that we are allotted as an average mature life, and then we fly away. And uh, Isaiah 6.8 talks about the flying cherubim. Uh, Revelations 14.6 talks about the angels that fly preaching the everlasting gospel from the skies. Uh, also in Revelations 8.13, angels flying through the midst of the, of the heaven and saying with a loud vo- voice to, uh, to the, um, uh, you know, the inhabitants of the earth, uh, preaching to them, speaking to them. And um, Isaiah 31, <clears throat> 31, 5 speaks about as birds flying, the Lord will deliver Israel. So there is a lot about this subject throughout the whole Bible. And if we were really to sit down, then <laughs> we would need to uh, get our uh, Bible college going again. Uh, and and that is going to happen right now. We are um, sort of on a... Um, a suspension of the Bible college because um, we just don't have enough hands uh, and not just everybody. You can't, you know, like just hire uh, a teacher that, uh, you know, is, say, um, a good mathematician uh, and expect that they're going to be able to teach uh, all of the math courses that we have because there are several new kinds of math you know, legitical, uh, uh, like um, uh, there are, there's um, uh, the rhythmatics. There, there's several other uh, uh, types of of courses that uh, you know we teach, and they're really incredibly interesting. Um, so that's a day that's coming, and. Uh, uh, now, there's a, a really neat scripture, and I, I, I believe this is for you today if you'll listen to this. Matthew thirteen seventeen, For verily I say unto you, this is Jesus Christ speaking, For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous persons have desired to see those things which you see and have, have not seen them. And to hear those things you hear and have not heard them. That's such a profound statement that Jesus made of all the people out there that, you know, in the time of Jesus, uh, that were, the, were able to feast on these revelations that Jesus was giving. But that there were so many people that did not ever get that opportunity who were alive on the earth at that time and who had lived before. Now, last week, we talked about some things along that line. We got into the book of Zechariah, chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Like, that's almost a whole chapter. And we got into the flying roll and the scroll and, and uh, the, the whirl uh, of the wind and how that that was actually, you know, uh, tied into the fringe revelation and uh, to the, the flying uh, ziths and uh, which are the chariots, uh, you know, of, of, of the cherubim, the chariots of the seraphim, and they were the chariots of the ophanim. And we got into the reading of the ephod, because it is that priest robe uh, that has on the fringe 
the the pomegranates and and the uh, you know the bells and also the various threads and uh, and and represents the four uh, quarters or four corners and uh, we got also into reading in Zechariah thirteen eight. Uh, of this incredible revelation about how that there was going to come this time in which there was going to be a division of of um, three three uh, you know a full uh, uh, three thirds and and that that uh, one third out of the three thirds uh, would would be uh, left and and uh, n not uh, cut off but that two thirds of the three thirds would be cut off and that's just an incredible revelation if you never, never got to hear that teaching last week my <laughs> get you know th these things are in the archives they're recorded and this thing about the flying roll and and you know if you ever th thought okay this thing about the ephon getting into ziths and the fringes huh, it's right there and we showed how that this flying roll it, it can come from the heavens they, they can send down this photo transition and they can come right into your mind and right into your life and that it can happen both on the good side or the bad side, the, the righteous side or the evil side. Uh, the, the angelic good angels are the, 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 the demon angels. Uh, both have the, the power and we'll show you, if we get the time, other scriptures that verify that. Now in Colossians uh, 1.26, it says, The mystery which has been hid from the ages and from generations, you know, is, is, is going to be revealed. Now, this is Bible, ladies and gentlemen. This is telling us that there are things. I remember someone says, well, that, that's talking about, you know, when Christ came and was revealed. Uh, that was certainly an aspect of it. But it wasn't the whole thing. Colossians was written sometime after Jesus had already been resurrected and ascended. And um, there is a, there is incredible revelation that ties into the whole thing uh, of the dissension of Jesus in his ministry on the earth. And that's very important. And, um, and, and, and you know, it ties into a scripture we often quote in Psalm 68, 17 through 18, where the chariots of God, the the and 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 twenty thousand angels in these chariots of God come down and suspend or hover over Mount Sinai, and, and this is where the law came from, and this is where Moses met met God, you know, talking like a man to a man, and um, and then this is connected to the why of all these these uh, ziths, all these UFOs and, and, and flying saucers and, and, and all these uh, signs that, that have happened. Well, uh, you know, it's the Mark 16, 15 uh, revelation when Jesus said, go into all the world, the world coming from the word Greek, the Greek word cosmo, cosmos, C-O-S-M-O-S, which means universe, Go to all the world, all the cosmos, and preach the gospel. This is a over a long term. And that's why in, in Psalms 90 and, and in, in Psalms 105, the revelation from the manifest teachings of, of the 70,000 generations, uh, which is 70,000 years, is, is an absolute must. If you don't have that revelation, <laughs> you're going to miss out on, on, on the, the why of God's plan and, and the whole... Uh, the whole, the whole 
a deep insight to God's plan. So, so that is all part of it. And, and um, the Mahanaim, which is revealed in the Old Testament of these two groups of angels, which were camps of angels, and uh, which the Bible says the angels are encamped about, encamped about those that love God. And, and there is both uh, uh, a, a virtual reality represented there, and then there is a, a higher literal reality, and then a spiritual reality. We, we, uh, we have learned over the teaching of uh, some period of time that uh, the 666 number, um, you know, has just all kinds of applications. Um, the human being is basically a carbon uh, man, uh, you know, our carbon entity. Um, six protons, six neutrons, six electrons are the basic uh, ingredient that makes up the, 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 the carbon man, uh, and that forms the six protons, P-R-O-T-O-N-S, six neutrons, N-U-T-R-O-N-S, six electrons, E-L-E-C-T-R-O-N-S, is 666. <clears throat> we showed that even in just common sentences and common words, like when it was talking about give wings to Moab, that even when you went into the, and you looked up the word wings, it was the same uh, zith zith, uh, or, or, or zizith, uh, that, that um, it talks about in the Bible uh, and uses the word fringe. Uh, that wings had the same Hebrew meaning in this scripture as the word fringe. So that obviously the word wings and the word fringe, uh, it meant the same thing. And fringe can also mean wheels. Our wings can mean wheels. Then, you know, uh, we, we want to get into, you know, the revelation of the, of the book of the Seven Thunders, where it explains that there are, a, you know, there are certain dimensions, you know, and then there are the contra dimensions, you know. You, you have, have these various dimensions and the contra of them. And, and how important that is. Uh, for instance, um, you know, we talk about, without even mentioning the Contra, we talk about the six directions, the north, south, east, west, the up, and the down. And so you've got, in the north, south, east, and west, four compass directions. In the uh, up and the down, you have two uh, transvertical directions. So, you know, those are really great revelations and interesting things to get into, and believe me, uh, one day we, we sure will. Now, um, we're going to lay that aside, and we're going to get into the book of Hebrews, to this part that I promised you we'd get into. And here's what it says. Um, let's start with... Um, Verse 2 of Hebrew 1. Um, in other words, God in these last days has spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all of all things by the word of his power, when he had himself, when he had by himself purged our sins, set down on the right hand of the majesty of high, 
of the majesty on high. Now, I want you to listen to this next verse. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. You cannot possibly understand what a verse like that means, even though you think you do, and even though you may have heard uh, scores of, 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 of preachings and teachings on it. You cannot understand it unless you understand it with the full contextuality and unless the Holy Spirit reveals it. Because these things are so different than how they, they seem to read. And if you, if you don't read them correctly, then you've got contradictions. And, and they have to be read correctly. Now, first off, when we start talking about being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, this is talking about by the Spirit. Because if you will remember, the Scripture teaches us, the Spirit cannot inherit spiritual things. Yes or no? That's not right. The Spirit can. The body can or cannot inherit spiritual things. Yes or no? Well, here's what the Bible says. It says the body cannot cannot inherit spirit, uh, spiritual things because it says for flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So because the Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, that means flesh and blood cannot inherit spiritual things. So the only way you can inherit something that is spiritual is by the Spirit. That is the only way. Now, if you have never been to the first domain, the heaven of heavens, if you have never been a part of that spirit world, then you can't inherit it either. That's a whole different process. Now, don't jump to no conclusions until you hear me out. Don't jump to any conclusions because you're going to be amazed at what all I'm going to say. See, the Bible says in the words of Jesus, no man has ascended up to heaven who didn't come down from heaven. And that's the case even with the Son of, of Man. He came down from heaven, and that's all part of why he can inherit the heaven. And so everybody on earth that is born on this earth has an inherent right to those things of the spiritual world. It's inherited. And so in the first chapter of St. John, it says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Every human that comes into the world is lit by this light. And that's why every human being has a kingdom of God within. Which is the, the, the spirit soul signal from the heaven of heavens of your soul which is still in heaven, of which you are receiving a spirit signal from, because it is a part of God, the God invisible. And you're receiving the signal, and that's your inheritance. It's a spiritual inheritance. 
And you can't have a spiritual inheritance. Like, you can't inherit something from, from uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Joe Brooks and his wife Anna if you're not any part of the family and if you haven't been made any part of, 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 a, of a vesture of the family. You can't inherit it. You have to be a part of that to ever inherit it after that situation moves into a different scenario. Now hang on, you're going to see what I'm talking about in a minute. Now let's look at this verse 4. Okay? Being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, turn over to chapter 2 of Hebrews to verse 9. Turn over to, over to verse 9 of chapter 2 of Hebrews. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Now, is Jesus made better than the angels? Or is he made a little lower than the angels? That would be totally contradicting if you did not understand the meaning of it. You have to understand the meaning of it. This particular application in verse 4, chapter 1, is referring to the Spirit. His Spirit being of a higher order than, than these angels. Now, the, the angels, what angels is it talking about? Someone says, ah, it means all the angels that exist. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that. And it doesn't say that. It's specific when it says the angels, which is meaning the angels referring to a particular group, referring to a particular kind. And so, as we get into this thing, of this special revelation, it is so important, because here in verse 4, we're, we're talking about being made so much better than the angels, by inheritance, is a spiritual thing. But over here in verse 9, but we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels, is a physical thing. So we got the difference between the Son of God and the Son of Man. And then if we go back up in this second chapter, and, and we, we look, you see, where it says in verse 5, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak, now that is very, very important to understand what that's referring to. And we're going to get into that. But we're going to see that there are, there are differences of those who are subjected. That they are in the subduction zone of this earth. And they're affected by it. But there are some angels that are not affected by it. The cherubim and the seraphim. Those are two different other groups of angels. And those particular angels are not in subjection to the earth. So he explains it with this verse 6, but in one certain place testifies, What is man thou, thou, that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visiteth him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. 
that could apply both to, both to the humans, the mortals, and to, and to Jesus. Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 2.16 that Jesus took not on the body of the nature of angels, but he took on the seed of Abraham. That's Hebrews 2.16. <coughs> so then, he goes on though, because we know that that in the Bible, man was made to have authority over over the earth, over the animals, over the creation. And so that that is true. There was a, a crowning that was put upon them. So let's go on. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all subjections under him, he left nothing that's not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Wow. For it became him for whom all things, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. Now we got designation. They're all of one. All of one what? They're all of the, the ophanims the host of the Ophanims. They all are belonging, and that's why he is the captain of their salvation. And in verse 11, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, when we begin to see the dynamics of this thing about the Son, the Son of God, we see it incredible in this fifth chapter of Hebrews verse 5 for, for uh, so also Christ glorified not himself to be, made, to be made a high priest but he that said unto him thou art my son today I have begotten thee as he saith also in another place thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek now that would seem like a, a conflict that seemed like he didn't want to be a high priest, but then yet somehow he was nevertheless made to be a high priest. No, that's talking the difference between a Levitical priesthood and the Melchizedek priesthood. He was not called to be a Levitical priest. He was called to be a Melchizedek priest. Okay, we're going to take a break.
Again, thank you, Janet Lee. All right, so let's uh, get right back into the <laughs> the saddle here on this uh, word. Okay, so now we begin to see something. We begin now in uh, as we read in um, in Hebrews this part that is is so amazing. It's ju- it's just an amazing part of the scripture, in which it says in um, uh, verse nine of chapter two of Hebrews. <clears throat> But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. This is the whole purpose of why he takes this Son of Man body. It's very, very urgent and important. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into, unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, within the context of this word salvation is also the word savvy, salvage. So when we think in terms of this operation of salvation and we put it in the idiom of it being a salvage operation, that indicates something that has been different before and then got depreciated, got degraded, and uh, became almost garbage and needed to be salvaged. And then salvation, salvage mission comes in. Salvation is to, uh, you know, perfect through the the sufferings uh, a power of sanctification uh, to sanctify the brethren. And because they are all one, and therefore Jesus is not ashamed to call them brethren. And uh, so we see uh, that how how really incredibly important that word. Now let's go to chapter 5 of Hebrews, verse 8. For though he were a son... Yet he learned obedience by the things he suffered. And being made perfect, he became, became. When you say became, that means you were not that before. Why? Because you did not need to be that before, because you didn't have the situation of the fallen angels. That happened, chapter 12, it is explained, when the angels war, were at war and and there was two groups of angels that came down, were cast down and became fallen angels. One was one-third of the angels of God, and the other was the angel demons, or the angels that became demons, of, of Lucifer, Satan, that fell with him. So there was two different, distinct, different falls of the angels. And so it goes on to say, um, being made perfect became the author of eternal salvation to all of them, uh, uh, that obey him, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, so this means that prior to this mission, uh, you know, uh, of um, uh, his actually coming in the body of Jesus, that there was a prior order to which he was after, following after, which was the order of Melchizedek. That's verse 10. Of whom we have many things to to say, but hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of understanding. Uh, you know, so um, he he suffered. He learned things through through what he suffered, and um, and uh, there's um uh, you know uh, the seventh verse says, "Who in the days of his flesh, 
when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto, unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, he learned by obedience. Now this, this is a side of Jesus Christ that a lot of people don't want to read, they don't want to accept, and by doing that, it's a horrible, horrible mistake that they are making. Because if you don't understand this thing of Jesus coming down and taking on the Son of Man, a, a distinguishable difference between that and the Son of God, then you're missing the whole boat. You're missing the whole boat. You're not even on it. You've got to get into that because it's important. Now I'll make a statement. This, this you may not be able to hardly swallow. Don't make the Christ the Son of Man too holy to be mortal. There are people that are trying to make the Son of Man to be the same as the Son of God. This is two different levels of Christ. And you don't want to make the Son of Man to be so holy that he can't be mortal. Because without him being mortal and being tempted like humans were tempted, and suffering like humans have been uh, suffering, he could not take on their sins and transgressions. That was how he was able to take on their sins and transgressions, by being a true proxy for them. Now, hopefully, that opened your eyes up just a little bit. Blessed be the name of God. And there's other scriptures, but we just... <laughs> we only have so much time, and we're running out of time. We're not taking away any of the scriptures that talk about, you know, uh, uh, Philippians 2.6, uh, Christ thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You know, you have to understand that. He's not expecting in his physical body to be equal with the invisible God. He's talking about the Father, and the scripture makes that clear. The Father who he is co-owned with, and they are one, the Father who also has a physical body, who is the, the chief of all the ophanims. Now, you have to understand this. When these angel groups come down from the first domain, one universe, universal time, the ophanims might come down and they might be the judges. And the cherubims might be the creators. And the seraphims may be a, a, a different position. And even some of the other of the seven spirits of God, other groups, may be involved. And whatever their role is, then that is the role that they will play. If that role is to be put in a lower uh, caste uh, system, not trying to refer that to, um, to the beliefs of, of um, the Hindus or Hindis, uh, not putting them down in any way either, but, but uh, using it in a different way, uh, meaning that whatever level that they are put on, that is what their theater job is, their acting job is. And so that will be the level they will take, and that will be the level they'll apply. And then the other angels that are over them in their levels will, will play their part. That doesn't mean 
that any one of those groups is specifically over the other group. They are just specifically being involved in the assignment they received when they left the heaven of heavens, the first domain. And that will change from universe to universe. Okay, I hope you got that. And I hope you can see then that incredible revelation. Now, let's skip real fast over the book of uh, Revelations. And I've got a hustle here. I've got so much to cover. In the book of Revelations, let's look at uh, chapter 13. And we talked about last week this very, 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 very important thing. In verse 18 of chapter 13, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And so many people are out there trying to count the number of the man. And they've got all kinds of people and names of, of people and spiritual or, or liturgical individuals and, and political individuals. And they're trying to prove by geometria or some other fashion that that is the man, the person, the Antichrist, the mark of the beast. And that is not what the Bible said to do. The Bible says, here's wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. So then we showed you last week that the beast came out of the waters and, and this represents the people. So in the 13th chapter, verse 1, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, upon his ten horns, crowns, and upon the names uh, uh, of his heads, the name of blasphemy. Okay, and now let's, let's look at this. Let's, <laughs> let's really get into this. Hang in there, people, because there's so much. I don't want to go too fast, but I want to get some of this stuff out. It's so very, 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 very important. The number of the beast, that's what you want to know. And in Revelation 20, uh, verse 4, uh, here, here's, here's what it says. Um, and I saw the souls of them which were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, nor received uh, a mark upon his foreheads. This is all about the beast. It doesn't mention the number of a man or this particular man. It's all about the beast. These are the ones that overcome are the ones that overcome this thing about the beast. This is the final resolution in that verse right there about this whole application of that input in the Bible. And that's why it's the mind that has wisdom. Now, we also get to this revelation, which is so very, very important, uh, you know, about uh, this thing of, 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 of the beast. And uh, let's look at this. We talked this last week, but it's important. We'll hit it again. Verse 17. Okay. Uh, verse, uh, pardon me, chapter 17. Okay. And it says, um, verse 1, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither. I will show you the, uh, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the, whole, of the great whore that sitteth upon the many waters. Now, she sits upon the many waters. Look at verse 15, same chapter. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So the woman, the whore, the, the, the queen of Babylon is sitting upon, sitting upon the many waters which represents the people. And yet in verse 3, 
of chapter 17. It says, He carried me away into the spirit and of the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, having seven heads, ten horns, etc. Now we've got the woman sitting on a beast, but she was sitting on the waters. And also, when we go over to verse 9 of the same chapter, and here is the mind that hath wisdom, that's very similar to the other mind that has wisdom, count the number of the beast. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Where is this woman sitting? Is she sitting on the seven mountains? Is she sitting on the beast? Or is she sitting on the whore, uh, which means she is the great whore, pardon me, sitting on the many waters, which is the people? Well, we know in chapter uh, 13, it says that there was this beast. And in verse 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and so forth. Now, we know there are two kinds of beasts that are also represented, the draconian aspect. There's the, Le- the, the Leviathan, which is the female um, uh, type of, of the dragon, represented in the sea. And then there is the the other dragon, which is represents the male dragon, which is upon the land. And we see that that this beast coming out of the sea is something just a whole lot more than what people imagine, because we've got the situation where the sea, the waters, represent multitudes, nations, kindred, people, and tongues. So when we see the great horse sitting on the waters, also sitting on the beast, also sitting on the seven mountains, what's going on? Well, let me show you something. Let's look at chapter 12 of Revelations. First, there appears a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. She, being with child, travails in birth and placed pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder, obviously a different one from that, but appeared also in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. Now, According to the scripture, according to the scripture, we've got the woman, you know, and we've got the seven mountains, and her sitting on these seven mountains, and people are saying that's Rome. But hold on a minute. Here's the great red dragon while he's still up in the heavens before he's been cast down to earth. And he's the great red dragon, verse 3 of chapter 12, and he's got seven heads. And he's got ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. 
Now, in verse 9 of chapter 17, it says, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. So now we got seven heads are seven mountains. But these seven heads existed before Rome was ever created. Before there was even a civilization on, on earth. These heads, which are called mountains, and we need to know what mountains mean, and I'm going to show you, existed as part of the revelation of the red dragon in heaven. And so when people try to take and say, oh, this is Rome, this is what these seven heads are, you don't really know what you're talking about. <coughs> In the course of time, those 70,000 years, the Bible says mountains are going to change. There's going to be mountains that are going to whittle down to being almost nothing. And there's going to be other upheavals. There's going to be other groups of seven mountains. And there'll be great civilizations around and upon them. And there'll be people, if they were to not have advanced, that'll be saying, oh, yeah, this other nation, uh, there's seven mountains in, in that nation. So that must be what this means. Hey, these seven heads were described as existing in heaven before there was any civilizations on earth. And so you've got to be very, very, very careful about who you say something is. Now we're going to move on and we're going to look at some things, including the patterns on the mount and exactly what all the mount represents. Pattern on the mount. Well, we talk about the soundtron. Chapter 19 of, of Psalms. The line that goes out, the sound that described and transliterated uh, in the 10th chapter of Romans. The sound tron is in all things that exist. It's, it's in the highest, highest above and it's in the lowest below. And we know in Exodus 25, 9 through and 40, it talks about the pattern of the tabernacle. The pattern showed you in the mountain. We have to understand when this tabernacle is built, it's just a result of the pattern. And it's a pattern showed you in the, in, 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 uh, the revelation that happened on the mount. And the same thing with Numbers 8.4, candlesticks, made according to the pa uh, pattern in the mount. And Hebrews 9.23 says, the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with the old purgings. So between Hebrews 9.23 and Revelations 1.19, where it talks about the purified with the old purgings, uh, these things, you know, uh, but the heavenly things, you know, uh, with greater uh, vision and greater sacrifices. So the purgings 
which basically is a purging of, a, of the people. They're, they're what really has to be purged so that they can, can see what the symbols represent. And that's why the Bible says that without a vision, the people perish. You have to have the vision. You have to have the insight. You have to have the knowledge. If you don't have the vision, if you don't have the insight, if you don't have the knowledge, then you really miss out. And that's sad. So then we've got Hebrews 8, 5, the pattern showed thee in the mount. Physical things shown as a sample or a symbolism of, of, spirit, of heavenly things. We've also got in Psalm 68, 17, and we hope to get to it today, but we may not, uh, the patterns in the mount that include the, included the Merkabah, M-E-R-K-A-B-A, which is the throne canopy, Zith, which is the white horse ministry, ridden by the Lord of Lords. It is so interesting that the pattern in the mount is about angels. It's about heavenly things. All these things that are physical are not about physical. But it seems like when, when, you, when a scripture comes up and it depicts <coughs> these kings and it depicts these physical things, they want to make the big issue, the big subject, about these physical persons and physical things. Instead of understanding, that's not what they're about. Ephesians 6.12 our war is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities of darkness and the principalities of light. That's what the whole thing is about. Wow. And so we've got to get into this transition. We've got to get into this understanding because if we don't, people are just going to keep on missing the truth. So we know in Hebrews 8.5, it says, Example and shadow of heavenly things. So there's a shadow out there. Looking through a glass darkly, not just totally clear. But that shadow has a message in it. Once the Holy Spirit reveals what that message is, it's about some heavenly revelation. Even in Hebrews 10.1, it says, The law having a shadow of good things. Well, what that shadow of the good things was is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That was the shadow of the real good things. The rest of it was mostly about the curses. Colossians 2.17 talks about which are a shadow of things to come. And we've been given signs. Genesis 1.14 uh, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the night from the day and let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. Luke 21.11 Signs uh, there be from heaven. There shall be signs from heaven. Acts 2.19 Wonders in the heavens above. Signs on the earth beneath. But it tells us in Second Thessalonians that Satan will be doing some of the same things 
with all power and signs. Well, we're back to the mountains. We're back to these, you know, seven heads or seven mountains. Isaiah 49, 11 says, I will make all, I will make all my mountains a way. Now, this isn't talking about you're just going to be traveling on mountains. It's using mountains to represent something else. And it can be something good or it can be something evil. Like in Daniel 2.35, the image became a great mountain. And it was not a good image. So something else can be representative of a mountain that isn't a mountain at all. Just like in Daniel 2.45, when a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands. Revelations 21.10, in the spirit to a great and high mountain. It talks about Christ being taken in the spirit to a great and high mountain. Someone says, well, wonder which mountain that was. Well, it may not have been a physical mountain at all. Well, we know another time he's taken to a high steeple. Steeple basically represented a church And that connects this whole, whole thing about these seven heads and seven mountains, believe it or not. Ezekiel 10.16 says, lifted up their wings or wheels to mount up from the earth. So now we have the word mount, which is abbreviation for the word mountain. But we're not thinking of it in terms of there being a literal mount or a literal mountain. We're thinking in, in terms as it represents a clevity, moving upward, tacking to him in a high mountain steeple. That's great. Uh, the gospel, Isaiah 52, 7, beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them that minister the gospel. That's another symbolic representation. It's not talking about the literal mountains. <laughs> And then, as I said, Ezekiel ten sixteen lifted up their wings to mount up. Isaiah 43, mount up with the wings of angels, they that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings of angels. It's not talking about going up to the mountain. That's a physical mountain. That's talking about something very spiritual. And so the mount has a meaning that is not literal in the sense of a physical mountain, but in the sense of a literal spiritual experience. We see that sometimes that a mountain like Mount Hermon can represent spiritual episodes, both physical, both uh, a holy and not holy. Mount Zion, which can also be spelled S-I-O-N or, or, or Z or Z-I-O-N, which the Bible says is Mount Hermon. And in Psalms 48.2, it calls it the joy of the whole earth. And there's many other scriptures. And Job 26 talks about mount up to the heavens. Another case of the word mount. We begin to see that mountains can be something differently. Isaiah 41, 15 through 16 talks about 
a sharp instrument to grind down the mountains. Now, we understand that this can actually be a computer, but it's going to be used to war against the anti-God computers. There is so much <coughs> when we get into this thing of the Bible. So many different meanings, so many different potential applications. Like we take the and we start talking about number. We wonder why there is a book. We wonder why there is a book in the Bible. <coughs> called numbers. If numbers are just absolutely not essential, they're not important, then why? Why is there a book in the Bible called Numbers? Are you thinking about that? <clears throat> Think really good. Keep thinking. Okay. We know that the word 1,000, the word 1,000 can also mean, according to the book of Hebrews, <coughs> Strong's Concordance, not the book of Hebrews, but the dictionary of Hebrews, number 80, 84 in the Strong's Concordance, the word 1,000 also means family or clan or even military unit. So when you have a word 1,000, and people say, well, you know, that just means a thousand, and after that comes some other meaning of numbers. But thousand translates to also meaning family or clan or a military unit. And we know that in the Hebrew idiom, there are three numbers. The singular type, the plural type, and the dual. So there's all kinds of possibilities. I'm telling you this as I'm preparing you for what I'm going to get into with this 666 number. Bible names and numbers can sometimes equal a unit. For instance, in Revelations 21.21, talking about Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, it says every several gate was of one pearl. Now we know the Bible tells us that on the four sides of the walls of Jerusalem, there was three gates on each one. That goes three, six, nine, twelve. That's the twelve gates. But the three gates were together on each directional side. But they were all of one pearl. And so this is an incredible way that all of these Three gates did the same thing. They Like if, if they were the north side, the three gates all came in on the north side. But at the same token, they were all of one pearl. And even though they were of one pearl, they had different positional references along the side of that wall because it was a very vast building. And in that sense of the several, severally, we can think in terms of a of unit. They represented a unit, like the 30, 60, 100-fold. 
the different levels, the different entering into the city, but entering into it by coming the way upon the mountain, the way of the different levels. Wow. That was Revelations 21, 21. Even the Bible talks in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, dividing to every man servilely as he will. And 25, 15, Matthew, man according to his several ability. The numbers in the Bible is not just minus. It's, it's important. Now when we get in this thing about the heads, we've got Joshua 22:21 talks about the heads of the thousands of Israel. So the heads can represent the clan or the families. Ties into the meaning of that word thousands and its meaning of family, military unit. Clans. And the heads, though, the, the family, the thousands, have a head. Deuteronomy 5.28 talks about even all the heads of your tribes. Isaiah 35.10 talks about the everlasting joy upon their heads. Now we begin to get into some understanding about this thing about heads. There's something quite beyond the head as it means mountains, quite beyond the head as it just means a human head, because it additionally means a state, a state of, of cognizance, a state of conscientiousness. Ezekiel 1, 22 through 23 Firmament upon thy heads, or upon the heads. Talking about as these wheels ascend and descend. How that there is a firmament upon the heads that is above them, that is, that is somehow connected to the work of their intelligence. Revelations 12.3, and there appeared another great wonder. I read this to you. The great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. The Bible says in Revelations 13.4, the dragon give, gives the power to the beast. So when we talk about the horns, many, many times the horn, as we'll see later, represents power. And we're going to see some interesting scripture for that, where, they, where, they, where that represents power. And we're going to see that <clears throat> as we get into this revelation, like of the Ephesians 6.12, of the principalities, we're going to see uh, also the revelation, like in the book, book of Proverbs, a very, very interesting revelation. Uh, I've ministered on it over the years <laughs> uh, extensively. But what it gets into in the sixth chapter of the book of Proverbs, in 16th verse, chapter 6 of Proverbs, 
Verse 16. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. Then it goes down and lists all these things. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. So what we really have being named here are, are different kinds of demons. The demon of pride, the lying demon, the murdering demon, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet to be swift and running to mischief. We've got the, the demons of lust. We've got everything here. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Here are represented seven demonic evil forces, which is equivalent to those seven heads that have horns upon them. Now there's an additional three horns because you have the satanic trinity. So when you add the seven horns of these seven demons to the three horns of the satanic trinity, you end up with the 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 ten horns and one of the one of the words of the meaning of horns is power, ten powers. Okay, let's keep going. So important to get this all down. Wow. Wow. Blessed be the name of God. Okay. Now, <clears throat> we have this um, really interesting thing that Jesus said. Matthew 5.18. Matthew 5.18. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot, that's J-O-T, or if you're pronouncing it the Hebrew way is iota, if you're pronouncing it the Greek way is iota. So E-E-O-T-A-H for Hebrew or I-O-T-A for Greek. Not one jot, one iota or iota or tittle, T-I-T-T-L-E, shall in no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. Now, in the, in, in the Greek book of Strong's, number 2503, jot for iota or iota means a small part of anything. But when you look at the root of that Greek word, jot or iota, and you go to the, the base root, the base root of that 2762 is 2768. And 2678 means means hair of the head or horns which equal power now you remember samson as long as he had his hair not cut he had this strength and power but once his hair got cut he lost his strength and power so we see how that that this is really really strange 
how that this iota or iota or aoto, how that these different little things like this, called the jot, have a deep meaning in it of which Jesus is referencing and saying, you know, heaven and earth can pass, but the law won't pass until it's all fulfilled, even down to the, the, the iota or the tittle. Why? Because there is a relevance in this. Like, tittle represents hair of a head or horn. Now, I don't know if how many of you remember that Michelangelo, the great artist, <clears throat> he did a painting of Moses. And there is a scripture that seems to indicate that there was these horns coming up out of his head. But literally, they were translated to really mean later what they really said, and that was rays. But he actually drew this famous picture of Moses with these horns coming up out of his head. But they were rays. But there nevertheless was, was rays coming up, like with maybe horn-shaped protrusion. Wow, emanating. In Ezekiel 8, 2 and 3, we know that an angel got hold of a lock of Ezekiel's hair of the head and lifted him up and levitated him up. No doubt took him up to one of the Ziths spaceships. And when we look up that word for the lock of hair, we find out that it has in it the meaning that that lock of hair, that, that hair that represents the fringe, <coughs> it also represents horns. Now when we talk in Revelations about the seven heads, the seven mountains on which the woman sitteth, we are looking at the power of the, we are looking at Ephesians 6.12, the power of the principalities of darkness. We begin to see a 666 number there on the dark side, as they would put it in Star Wars. So that in the Hebrew language aspect, the word for tittle also means the apex of a Hebrew letter, the least particle. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we begin to sit in here on a dynamic revelation. We begin to see, as we look into the Bible, that sometimes rivers, oceans, waters represent something totally different than what people have thought. Heads are representing something totally different than what people thought. When it says that they represent mountains, you know, the mountains that they're setting on, the Bible describes them, the mountains that, that the beast, it says that this, this second beast that's being made is the, the, that it gets all its power from the dragon. There's the horns. It gets its horns from the dragon, which, according to all this I've been giving you, is equal to meaning mountains. 
mounting up with the power of the forces dark or mounting up with the power of the forces of light. It's in the word of God, ladies and gentlemen. It's absolutely in the word of God. Okay, let's get into the 666. The Z-Seat. T-Z-I-T, Z-I-T, or T-Z-I-T, Z-I-T, equals fringe. So the number in the fringe we have shown is 666. And we must remember that in Ecclesiastes 3.18, as I read to you last week, I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them, that they might see that they themselves are beasts. We begin to see that the beast is in humans. And a lot of this representation is about humans. The woman, the whore, sits on the waters, which are the people, nations, kingdoms. Fringes are to remind the people of God as to the commandments of God. Well, the commandments of God, there are ten major laws, and there are 603 statute laws, which is a total of 613. Now, I'm not using gematria here. The number value of, 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 of the, the letters of the alphabet, of the Hebrew alphabet. I'm using, using actual numbers relative to the actual laws of the Torah. Therefore, that is not gematria. So, we're going to get into this thing about the unit of the time. Even when you're talking about the, the days and the years of, you know, of... <laughs> of the days and time of a year, if you talk about a tropical year, a tropical year is 365 days, 5 hours, 48 minutes, and 46 seconds. That's a unit of time. Or you could say 365 Two four two two zero days long, so you've got a prime number, and you've to, so to speak. I don't mean prime is in the prime of numbers, but um, a, a the major number, and then you've got the, the you've got fractions. Now we're beginning to get a point here, so just hang and hold. So now let's look again. We've got. In this, this um, seat seat, which can be the prayer shawl on this prayer shawl, the fringes of the prayer shawl, because these are fringes, or as we read to you last week, and we've told you the week before, it can be part of the ephod. Well, there are 39 coils, because there's one long blue strand or hair, or thread that comes down way, way longer than all of the other fringe threads. And it winds around the first corner or section of the, of the four quarters, seven windings, then the second one is eight windings, and the third one, third corner or third quarter is 
11, and the fourth is 13. It is a total of 39 windings or 39 coils around the strands of the four corners or four quarters. So now we've got the laws, which were 613, and we've got the 39 coils. We add them together, we get 652. Then we have where they substitute the white for the blue because the blue is only available when you can find these special kind of snails that make this particular blue. And they only come around, it is said, sometimes 70 years go by. And so we have then white. White is used on these fringes. And white represents seven colors. And then we add that seven to the, to the we had the 39 coils, we had the 613 laws, that was 652, we add seven to that, that makes 659. Then we have one more seven, which is the mystery seven, revelation of the one-third and the two-thirds. And that gives us the number 666. And we see that each corner has four fringes folded in half, therefore making eight fringes. But it still ends up adding up to that same, same value. And there is a lot of revelation here. Now, when we start getting into, we start, leave that setting for just a minute now, just leave that setting, and let's look at Revelations 17, 12. It talks about the ten horns and the ten kings, and that these kings receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Now, to further get to this understanding of the 666, we did a time chart for you last week because the Bible talks about one day with Christ or one day with God represents a thousand years of human time. And we showed you that if you take the thousand years of, of human time, only equaling a day, that we could boil down that day and call it a 24-hour period. So we can say one 24-hour period, which is the same thing as a day, is equal to a thousand years of human time. And then we say, okay, that's a thousand years. What happens now if we want to get that down to an hour? Let's work our way down. So we reduce the thousand to 500. So now we've got one half of a day, which is 12 hours instead of 24 hours. And then we say, let's reduce it another half. And we reduce the 500 to 250 years of human time, which is six hour period, because we reduced first the thousand to 500, then the 500 years 
to 250 years, and then we finally say, okay, now let's reduce that 250. So when we reduce that 250, years of human time, which is the only, remember, to God, we were only talking a 24-hour day. Now we are now down, when we got down to 250, we were, we were now down to 250 years of human time, equaling only six hours of a God day. And then when we cut the 250 in half, we get 125. <clears throat> so the six is cut in half to three hours. Now we got three hours, or, or we got three hours of, of God, of a God day. Three hours of a portion of a God day still equals 125 years of human time. Now remember, for a whole God day, not breaking down the hours, it was 1,000 years to human time. Then a thousand years broken down to five hundred was twelve hours instead of twenty-four hours, equal, equaling five hundred years of human time. Then we reduced it to two hundred and fifty, so that was six-hour period, uh, equal to two hundred and fifty years of human time. Then we went to half of that. We got three-hour period, was one hundred twenty-five years, equal to one hundred twenty-five years of, of human time. Now, when we take that 125 years and we want to, to, to turn those three hours into individual hours so we can know what one hour is, because we're wanting to deal with the Christ hour that it mentions like in Revelation 8.1. <clears throat> so we divide the 125 years of human time, which is, which is on the God side equal to three hours is equal to 125 years of human time. Imagine that. Imagine that just three hours is all 125 years of our time of living equals in God time. And that's just on this particular scale. When you get on the ultimate eternal scale, then it's way, way beyond that. So to find that out, we're, we're, we're three-hour period and we've got a, 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 from uh, equals 125 years of human time. <coughs> Excuse me. So we divide 125 by three because we got three hours and we want to find out what that turns out to be. And incredibly, you can check it out on your own computer or you can just use straight pencil math. When you divide... 125 by 3, you get 41, then 666, 666, 67. That's what you get. So now we know that one hour of these ten horns receive power as kings, one hour with the beast, is actually equivalent To this number that we just gave. So we had, a, before that was broken down, we had 125 years. Now we've got 41 years. So uh, this hour that each beast is getting has an equivalency. Someone say, well, yeah, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, with God, then that's 
that is going to be a lot less. Yeah, absolutely. We're down to just an hour. <coughs> that God hour is going to represent 41 years plus the other numbers. Hold on. <coughs> I want you to hold on here because this is going to be very interesting what I'm going to say. <clears throat> All right. Here we go. So now we've got the 41. Last time I said, okay, now we can take, we call those the years. Let's just break down these other sections and say 666 represents the months. Another 666 represents the weeks. Another 67 represents the days. And then, of course, I've had different people say, oh, well, wait a minute then. When you divide 12 into the months, well, you're going to get a whole bunch more years. Yeah, but we're not doing it that way because this is quotum math, which is actually called quote M, that's Q-U-O-T-E, capital A, capital M, logistical rhythmatics. So this quotum logistical rhythmatics is based on rhythms and units. So even though we could theoretically apply this if we were trying to break down the time as designating uh, something other and less than the years as we would regard months, weeks, and days. Uh, but uh, that would only just be a simplex. It wouldn't be a deep, um, congruent application. And when we do it this other way, it's very, very interesting what we can get to prove it. So we've got 41, 666, 666, 67, which was the number that we came up with. Remember, when we divide it 125 by 3, so that we know then that the 41,000 years plus the, 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 the unit of 666 once and the unit of 666 twice plus the spare numbers of 67 equal what one hour of the God day equals in drawn out terms. Now when we take and please be patient with this little bit of math I'm doing. Don't, don't let that discourage you. You are going to be able to really understand this. That day is coming. God is, going to, God is going to pompadour you by the power of the Holy Spirit, so you're going to understand it. So when we take then and we multiply these kingdom horn hours, because remember, the kingdom horns, there was going to be 10, there's going to be 10 hours. Because there was going to be 10 horns that equal 10 kings, Revelation 17, 12. And each would receive power as a king one hour with the beast. So when we multiply that number, which is the 41,000 uh, years plus the two units of 666 and, and, and the extra number 67. And we multiply that by 10. We get a 412 years, 412 years plus four years, 
which is a total of 416. Now, in quantum math, we do it this way because the complex of 412 is different than the complex of 416. And I don't want to go into all the explanation of why we exactly do it that way. It still ends up adding up to the same because it's 412 plus 4. <clears throat> so you still end up with 416 years. Now when you multiply the 416 by the 10, this is what this is what is very interesting. This is very interesting. You end up coming up again after you take the 10 years and you multiply them by these <laughs> these 10 41,000 two units of 666 plus 67, you end up getting these numbers. I won't divide them by decimals or commas. 4, 1, 666, 666, the number 666 double comes up again when you divide those four numbers by the beast number of the Hour of 41666666. This is awesome. This is incredibly awesome. So then, it, it is it's just so interesting um, because it all ties in to this long term of the 1,000 generations, of 70 to 80,000 generations posted in Psalms 105, 8 through 10, and Deuteronomy 7, 9, and First Chronicles 16, 15, and in Galatians 3, 16, 19, which says that that, that law of that uh, duration of generations cannot be canceled. They're, 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 they're sealed in. And, and then we get into the revelations of Psalm 22, 30, where a seed is counted as a generation. And then I shared with you last week how that the years of Christ are throughout all generations, Luke 3.38. And that's because in Psalms 90, we see that the 70 to 80 years is where people are living the unlived 70 years of Adam, who the Bible says in Luke 3.38 is the son of God. And this scripture, rather, for the, the, uh, the years uh, of Christ throughout all generations, actually is Psalms 102.24. And then the thing about Adam is Luke 3.38. And so, Christ, Adam lived 930 years, and he was 70 years short of the day, which was 1,000 years. Wow. And humankind is living that. Now, if we take this number, the 41666666667, which represents what, what equals one, one hour of a God day, and then we want to prove the value of the of, of these fractions, because like if you were looking at 
five years and three months. Those months, in order to represent a year, would be one part of a twelfth, because it takes twelve months to equal one year. So that would represent three twelfths, and it would take twelve twelfths to equal one whole year. So they are fractions. So we have to understand that these units are also in fractions. But if we were to take that one hour again, or which equals 41,666666667, and we were to prove it, then we could take and reduce these fractional numbers and units down to the lowest applicable number that mathematically would equal this 125, which was the 125 years that was broken down into three hours. And so if we take the number 41.68 and multiply that by three, we end up getting 125.04. And because 0 0.04 is below a 5, because it has to be 5 or greater when you round it off to move that digital over to the other number and change like the 125 to 126. So therefore, it is not accounted. So then, 41.68 equals 125. And that is the proof that all this whole number system that we are doing has actual equation of a correct application. Now, in quotum math, the positionalized horizontal difference, and I'm going to finish this in a minute, can, uh, of the fractions, the, the positionalized horizontal difference of the fractions can change or modify the numerical valuation of the rhythm. So, when we start talking about the units of the beast, there is a new word I want to introduce to you called ophandemus. O-P-H-A-N-D-E-M-A-N. Ophan for representing ophanim. And demas, D-E-M-A-S, actually is from the Greek representing humanity, or humans, or mortals. So, Ophanimus, later we'll be using that word in the future, is a very important word to understand as represents the Ophanims who fell into humankind. Ophanimus. And so, I'll read this other thing. Hang on. The positionalized horizontal that's when you're reading, like, from one side to another side, across. Has a difference of the fractional change because it can be modified to a different valuation or rhythm based on that positional difference. So then, A six number has a different rhythm count, accent, 
than a seven number. In quantum logistical arithmetics, the rhythm of a number can be different than the math value of a number. This is also a part of the law of privilege, meaning part of the law of the privilege of knowledge. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to have to quit. I want to get into all this other good stuff, but we'll have to quit. We're way later than we usually go. But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to be patient with on this thing because memory in the book of the Bible is a book of numbers. And I want you to understand that God has a plan and how that all these numbers come together and how that the 666 billion angels that fell and refused to take bodies are described in Zechariah. And I read that to you last week and read the scripture again this week. And that only one-third of the three-thirds. Now, people get this mixed up. And they say, no, wait a minute, I don't understand this. I understand there was one-third of the, of the angels, yes. That was one-third. You had the three groups of angels, the cherubims, the seraphims, the ophanims. One-third fell. That was the ophanims. Now you've got the ophanims, which represent a trillion entities, and two-thirds of them that fell did not want to take bodies, went along with Satan's idea of not taking bodies. And one-third, however, subjected themselves to taking bodies, mortal bodies, and they knew they would lose their memory when they did in this land, as the Bible calls the land of forgetfulness. And so you've got two different applications of the, the one-third and the two-thirds. And you don't want to confuse us. God bless you. We love you. I want to remind you that at the end of this year, we will cease for a suspended period of time our programming of, of the live broadcast and we will switch over to the archives. There's so many interesting archives to play. But between now and the first of the year, please pray with us. We need help because from January through March, I intend to get several books ready to publish. Star Rise, the Book of Revelation, and hopefully either almost done or close to being done, the Peace Bible. It's going to take finances, which I just don't have, but I'm trusting God and believing. I don't like to use this time to mention that. But I've had several brothers in the last, and sisters in the last short period of time, that they've talked to me and they've said, please, Brother Jerry, you've got to let the people know this need. You, you just can't try to handle it yourself. You know, you're going to be 76 years old. You're out working. You just can't do this. You need help. Don't, whatever amount it is, small or whatever. But if there's anyone out there that can give a good lump, this is the time to do it. Because this is a world message. And there's nothing else like it out there.
God bless you. God bless you. Amen.